God, thank you so much for who you are and for all that you do. God, thank you so much for your word that we come and we read and we celebrate each and every week, God. I just pray that, that as we go through today's scripture, as we continue looking at the word of God and this word of God series, that this would uh, just come alive for us once again. God, that you would speak through your word, that you would move through your word, and that we would leave here knowing that we have met with you, God. Would you speak through me once again? Would the words that come out of my mouth be your words for your people on your day, God? We are here to hear from you. We're here to meet with you. And so, God, I just pray uh, this morning that you would uh, just make yourself tangible in this place as we dive into your word this morning. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited about this week. This week is Holy Week. Uh, Holy Week is one of my favorite weeks of the entire year, uh, especially in the Christian calendar. I think it's the most important week on our calendar in the Christian calendar is this Holy Week. Uh, it is uh, just a week where we get to reflect on the final days of Jesus' life here on earth, uh, on the final days, the final week here. Uh, and we're going to be spending our time in Matthew this morning. So if you want to go to Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. But Holy Week is, like I said, an important week. Holy literally means set apart. This is a week that we set apart, that we set apart as Christians and believers uh, to really just, like I said, reflect on the last events of Jesus' life, culminating in Easter Sunday, uh, which I am so excited to celebrate next week with everybody here as well. Uh, you know, but this week is exciting for me, not just because I'm a believer and not just because I, I love this week because of what it means for me spiritually and us spiritually as believers, but it seems like during this week, the whole world pays attention. Right? You know, you see TV series on Jesus. You see, like, on the History Channel, they'll show some things about the Bible. And I, I, some of the theology is not great in there, I'll admit that. But it's just, you know, it's just good stuff. You know, you see this all over the place. It's in the papers, it's on the news. And you just see people kind of coming around to this idea of who is Jesus. You know, they're asking this question this week, who is Jesus? And I think it's such an important question to ask. You know, like I, I say often, my, one of my favorite scriptures is Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You know, this week there are many from all around the world who are honestly seeking Jesus, even if it's just to know like, what is, what, what is it about this Jesus that makes Christians follow him. You know, this week is such an exciting week for me because, you know, there's, there's people that read the gospels to learn about Jesus for the very first time. There's just this sense of excitement around Jesus and around his sacrifice for us. And so, uh, it's one of my favorite times of year. Uh, but like I said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, uh, this morning over the last 10 weeks or so. Now we have spent time, uh, in this series, the word of God. And so far we have been pretty much exclusively in the old Testament. Uh, we have been talking about some of the major themes and the pieces that happen there that we need to know. But I really do believe there is no better time to enter into the new Testament than Holy week. There is no better time to enter into the new Testament than to talk about Jesus and who he is, and especially during this week of Holy Week. And, and we're going to actually read this morning in Matthew chapter 21. Uh, Matthew chapter 21 is the event that we know as Palm Sunday, right? This is why we celebrate Palm Sunday. We're going to go through uh, this, this week. Uh, but I think, you know, I've been saying this is an important week for us. I think when you read the book of Matthew... You also see how much of an important week it was for him too, right? There are seven or eight chapters in the book of Matthew 
dedicated to the final week of Jesus' life. Almost a quarter of his gospel is dedicated to what we now call Holy Week. All right, this is, a, this is a big week. This is an important thing. And so uh, we're going to read together. We're going to read about Palm Sunday, Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Uh, and here's what this says. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on the colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This scripture, as we read this, this is like I said, this is the the Palm Sunday story. This is as Jesus is entering Jerusalem. The branches that this is, this is found in all four Gospels, by the way. The branches that were thrown, we know from the other Gospels, are palm branches. Uh, and that wasn't necessarily unusual. We'll go through that. Uh, but a couple different questions come to my mind when I read this story. Uh, and I just like to kind of go through these as we celebrate Palm Sunday. A couple different questions come to mind specifically as I read this story, though. The first question is this. Why in the world was Jesus welcomed like that? Why would people welcome Jesus like that? What's the point of the the palm branches? And why were they saying Hosanna? Because on its face, it seems a little bit odd. This is kind of a weird welcoming, you would think. Uh, We we wouldn't do that now. uh, There's nowhere that we would see here in our current culture or day that would really do this. And so why? You know, what's the point of this? And really, back in this day, this was done for a couple reasons. Uh, the first reason was to celebrate victory and goodness, right? We actually see this throughout Scripture as well. We talked in First Kings uh, about three four weeks ago about King Solomon building the temple. As King Solomon built the temple, he actually had palm trees etched into the doors and the walls of the temple, It was a symbol of victory. You know, we see in Leviticus and Nehemiah that they were used on festive occasions as well. Uh, In this culture, the conquerors were welcomed home in this way. As the the conquerors in battle would return home, they would be welcomed with coats and with palm branches, and they would be welcomed back into their city this way. Winners of competitions, like sporting competitions, would be gifted a palm branch, and they would wave that palm branch as they went home, right? There was, there was a sense of, of victory in this. There was a sense of goodness with this palm branch as people welcomed. But the second thing is this is how people welcomed a king into their city. If a king was visiting your city, if the king of the kingdom was visiting your city, they would welcome him at the city gates with this sort of welcome. They would throw down their palm branches. They would throw down their coats and they would welcome him, and they would, uh, they would welcome him, and they would yell at him these similar phrases. So, you know, why would they welcome Jesus like that? The question remains. 
right? Why we know kind of what this is for now, but why would they welcome Jesus like that? Well, they've heard about Jesus, right? They, they knew who he claimed to be, and they were expecting Jesus to be the one to release them from kind of this oppression that they were feeling from the government. They were expecting Jesus to come in and to, to free them and to establish himself as their king, as their ruler, right? They were coming and essentially expecting him to come in and to be victorious as he kind of ran a coup, essentially, like just took over. He wanted them to be their earthly king, and they were welcoming him into the city. They were expecting him to come in and to be victorious and to be the king. Well, here's the second question that I think, why was Jesus even there? What was the point of Jesus being in Jerusalem at this time? What's the significance of this? Well, we know from the book of John, John chapter 12, that Jesus was entering Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And he was entering five days before the Passover festival, which is an important thing that I want you to keep in mind as we go forward here. He was entering five days before Passover. Now, Passover was and still is, to an extent, the largest holiday in Jerusalem. Right? The, the city would expand to about ten times its size as people flocked to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. This is a, something that is still celebrated by the Jewish people today. Right, people are everywhere, and Jesus has created quite a stir at this point. I mean, from, from the book of John, we see that, uh, that Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead just a few days before this, right? Things are going around about Jesus. People are hearing about Jesus. They know who Jesus is. They've, they've seen his miracles. They've heard about his miracles, and they are talking about him all over the city, and so Jesus comes in, and he comes down the mountain into the city to these people shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna means save us, rescue us. Now, this is, why is this important? Well, a few weeks ago, if you'll remember, we were in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, just 1,500 years before Jesus here, we see the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, who are enslaved in Egypt. They are enslaved there for 400 years. And at the end, they are crying out to God, Save us, rescue us, free us from this oppression. Right? God raised up a deliverer in Moses, as we talked about, and but Moses or Pharaoh said, "No, you, I'm not going to let my people go." I will, but God, after hearing this, no, says, "I will deliver my people. I, I'm going to send these ten plagues. I'm going to to show you by my mighty hand. I will free my people." And so we, we get these ten plagues, each of them, that showed his power. And the last plague was the plague on the firstborn, which we talked about a few weeks ago as well. I want to just kind of go back there and look at this. Exodus chapter 11, uh, we'll read verse 1 through 8 this morning. Um, you know, this is kind of the plague here. Now the Lord has said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. 
There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. So basically saying, this is what's going to happen. God is saying, I'm going to come in. I'm going to to send this plague. And during this plague, I'm going to kill all the firstborn of the Egyptians. However, the Israelites, not even a dog is going to bark. So you will see the distinction between the Israelites and and the Egyptians. He essentially provides a way out for the Israelites. And this is the way out. You get to Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the, uh, the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames in the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. This is the Passover festival. Uh, This is what they are celebrating when they celebrate the Passover festival. This is how it is celebrated and was celebrated uh, from from the beginning in Exodus all the way through the time of Jesus and even to now in the Jewish culture. This is what they do. They they eat lamb. They, They celebrate this Passover. So Passover was celebrated on the 15th day of the first month, this Hebrew month of Nisan, which technically started after nightfall on the 14th day. Their days didn't go like ours do. They don't have like a 12 midnight the next day. It is when it gets dark, it's the next day, right? That's kind of how they dealt with time back then. So what we have here is that John tells us that, that Jesus comes into Jerusalem five days before Passover, If you'll remember, what happens five days before they are to celebrate the Passover feast in Exodus? That is the day that they choose their lamb. They go out and they pick their lamb. It is to be a spotless lamb. It is to be a lamb without defect, one about a year old, right? We have these these qualifications in the book of Exodus. And and I just find it fascinating. I mean, what are the odds that 1,500 years later that Jesus rolls into town for the Passover festival five days before the Passover festival on what is commonly known then as Lamb Selection Day? 
The Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. That's John 1 there. It just kind of brings a new light here. Right? This is the Lamb of God coming into Jerusalem at, during the Passover feast. God is essentially saying, here is my Lamb. And if you will trust in the blood of my Lamb, you will be saved. It just goes back to, to, you can imagine going back to Exodus. If you trust in the blood of this lamb, I will pass over your house. You will be saved if you trust in the blood of the lamb. And now 1,500 years later, here's Jesus, who John calls the lamb of God. He's not, not just John, that's all throughout scripture. We see Jesus called the lamb of God. And he's coming in on lamb selection day, riding into the city five days before Passover. Here is my lamb. Oh, what a powerful image as Jesus is, is riding into town. I mean, he's given the, the, the welcome of a king. Right? People are there. He's being yelled at. He's expected to be victorious. And he would be. He would be the victorious king. But little did they know he was going to do so by becoming a sacrificial lamb. I think it's just such a, such a powerful image this morning of, of Jesus as this king. You know, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. We talked about the kingdom of God last week, and where we ended last week was that Jesus ushers in the kingdom of God in the New Testament. All right, I, I want to kind of pick that up again this morning as the people of, of Jerusalem are welcoming Jesus as the king into their city. They are waving palm branches. They are expecting him to be victorious. They are shouting, save us. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes, uh, this, this basically saying like, you're in the line of David. You're, you're our king. You are the king. They are welcoming him as the king. I want to just, just talk this morning about, about Jesus as king. Because as we talked last week, this is exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is here on the earth to establish this kingdom of God. And this kingdom of God is, is a kingdom that is not necessarily just an earthly kingdom. This is beyond an earthly kingdom. And so what does it mean to have Jesus as king? These people welcoming Jesus as king were, were expecting something completely different. Right? But here's, here's who Jesus is as the king. First of all, we know that Jesus is a divine king. Jesus is the divine king. He is not uh, just a, a human being, right? He is much more than just a human being. It's interesting, up to this point in the book of Matthew, Jesus has repeatedly asked and urged those he has helped and those he has healed not to tell anyone who he is, right? He, they, he has said, like, don't, don't go off. In the, actually, in Matthew chapter 9, he heals two blind men and it just says Jesus gives them a stern warning not to tell anybody, right? He, he's, but here... In this chapter, in chapter 21 of Matthew, he tells his disciples to go to the village, and if anyone asks, the Lord needs it. This is the first time in the book of Matthew that Jesus either refers to himself as Lord or Lord is used for Jesus. Up until now, Jesus has been master. He has been teacher. He has been rabbi. There are a lot of other names for Jesus, but up until now, he has not been the Lord. But that has been a term that has been saved for God himself. But Jesus tells his two disciples to go get the donkey. If anybody asks, tell them the Lord needs it. Jesus is kind of referring to his own 
kind of sense of divinity here, his own godness, if you will. He's, he's not claiming just to be a human being. He is claiming that he is God. And this is a claim that's made all throughout Scripture, that Jesus is not just a man. He is God himself, God in the flesh. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Verse 14, in the beginning, uh, you know, Jesus made himself flesh and dwelt among us. All right, think about this. We, we see Jesus is, is God. You know, Jesus was divine. He is God. He is a divine king. He is not just an, an earthly king. You can see some of the confusion that's caused here as we do this. Right, there is some confusion here. The people of, the, of Jerusalem are, are calling to him as kind of this earthly king, but they don't recognize that Jesus is not a human king. Jesus is a, Jesus is a divine king. Not only is he a divine king, Jesus is a prophesied king. Right, we see in verse 4 and 5 here of, verse, of chapter 21, you know, the, he basically saying, so, the, so this took place to fulfill what, this, what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is actually directly from Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 is where this is from. Zechariah speaking to a group of Israelites who we are, uh, remember, descendants of, of, of uh, Abraham. They are in exile. Remember, we talked about the presence of God being lifted from them because they didn't hold on to that if. They are in exile again. They are not in the presence of God. They don't have the king anymore. But they're going to come out of that. And this is Zechariah speaking to those people. In verse 9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I don't know about you, this is fascinating to me that about 500 years before Jesus is even here, Zechariah knows and God has told Zechariah that there would be a donkey available for Jesus the week before Passover. He is, he is the prophesied king. This is not even just the only prophecy in the Old Testament we have that comes true in Jesus, but he is a prophesied king. Now, but not only is he a divine king, and not only is he the prophesied king, you can see some of the confusion that is here with these people as they welcome Jesus, but Jesus, this is the one part they had right. Jesus is the savior king. They had that part right about Jesus, but here's where they got it wrong. Because Jesus wasn't there to save them from an oppressive government. He wasn't there to save them from, uh, from anything necessarily physical, right? Uh, but as Jesus comes to town, they are, they are shouting at him, Hosanna, save us. Right? This is actually directly out of Psalm 118, uh, verse 25. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And see, this is where this, is where this image of the lamb comes in earlier, from earlier. Right, we, because the people are crying out. They are wanting a physical saving from an oppressive government. They are wanting a physical king to come and to save them. And they are wanting Jesus to be that physical king. But Jesus, he does. He does come in as the savior king. But he doesn't come in to save them from a government. He doesn't come in. He comes in instead to save them from their sins. It's in a different kind of oppression that he has come to free them from. 
It's not the oppression of a government. It's the oppression of sin. He comes in to enter in, to usher in a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. So Jesus, coming into Jerusalem, was essentially being crowned the king. And he was. He was the king, just not in the way that they were thinking in that moment. Yeah, we know from this side of things, we know the rest of the story. We know what happens that week. We know that, uh, that we know kind of the, the how of how Jesus saves us. And we'll dive into some of that next week as well. But I want to I talk about a little bit about what it means in our lives right now to kind of find ourselves in the place of these people who are welcoming in Jesus, expecting him to be the king. What, is it, what does it look like to have Jesus as king? What does it mean in our lives to have Jesus as king? And here's the, the first thing. I think we can take from example these people who are welcoming Jesus as king, and we need to welcome Jesus into our lives as well. We need to welcome Jesus into our lives in the same way that these people were waiting at the city gates, throwing down their coats and throwing down these palm branches. They were welcoming Jesus into the city, and they were saying, you are the king. Save me. Uh, They were welcoming him in. They were expecting him to be victorious. They were welcoming him not only into their city, but into their lives. They were wanting him to rule over them, right? They were welcoming him into the city. They were calling out to him, and they were essentially saying, come direct my life. Come rule my life. Come save me. Come be my king. You know, these days it's a little harder to kind of... uh, uh, this isn't really the mindset that we have all the time, right? We don't expect, we're not, we're not calling on people to come in and to direct us and rule us and to be our king. That's why we have America. We didn't want a king, right? Uh, you know, we, 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 we don't enjoy having a king. We don't, we don't really love that part. So, but this is, this is, this is a, th- a mindset that we need to get around as we welcome Jesus into our lives. We need to say, God, would you come and direct me? Would you come and guide me? Would you come into my life? I welcome you into my life. I think we could take that from this example of these people who are welcoming Jesus in. We need to, to welcome Jesus in. But I think the biggest thing this morning, especially as we lead into Holy Week, is that not only do we need to welcome Jesus into our lives, I think it takes another step. We need to be willing to hand over the keys to our lives. We need to be willing to surrender our lives to this king. Amen. See, it's one thing to welcome Jesus as king. It's another thing to say, I surrender to you. It's one thing to welcome Jesus and to say, God, I, I want you to come in and I want you to, to, to be here. <laughs> I want you to be the king here. It's another thing to be able to say, I, I put my life under your lordship. I put my life under your kingship. I, I want you to rule. I want you to guide. I surrender my life to you. See, Jesus came in humility. He came in poverty to give his life for you to save you from your sins. He has shown you mercy and love. And what we do to this king who has come to show us mercy and love is we surrender our lives to this king. I think especially in this this uncertain time, we place our lives in the hands of the king and we trust him in everything. So as, as we go through this week, this holy week, my prayer for you is this, that you would, you would welcome the king into your lives. 
and that you would surrender your lives to this king. This king who is the, the, the leader of the kingdom of God, as we talked about last week. I want you to just think this week, as, we, as you go on, you go through Holy Week and, and we celebrate Good Friday and we come next week on Easter Sunday. And I want you to just, as you think about the, the events of this week, I want to challenge you to read the Gospels and think about the, the, last, four, the last week of, of Jesus' life. But I want you to think about this. Have I, have I fallen short of surrender? Have I welcomed the king? I, I know the king, I love the king, I, want, I welcome him into my life, but have I fallen short of surrender this week? Have I fallen short of surrendering my life to this king? And if so, I, I hope that this week that you just, you make that decision. That you feel God calling you to surrender. That we would know and understand that this king is a good king. That he is worthy of our lives. We'll find out next week more about this King Jesus and how he saves us as we celebrate Easter. But I want to just leave it here this morning to put ourselves in the places of these people who are welcoming Jesus into the city. Would we welcome him? But will we also take it a step further and think about surrendering our lives to him as well? Let's pray. God, we love you. And we give you thanks and praise, God, for who you are and all you've done. God, this, this week, Holy Week, is such an important week for us as believers. And God, I just pray that you would, you would move in our lives this week, that you would challenge us and shape us as we read the Gospels this week. But God, will we find ourselves this week resonating with these people who welcome Jesus into the city? Will we resonate with these people, God, who, who welcome you in with open arms? They throw down the palm branches and they welcome you as king. But God, I, I want to I take it a step further this week. And would you challenge us as, as, we, as we, maybe there's a place in our life that we haven't quite surrendered to you. Would you challenge us this week to give it up? To surrender our lives to you this week. God, we love you. We give you praise for who you are. And all you've done, God, we are so thankful for you, for your son, and for the sacrifice that was made on our behalf for our sins. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, before we go, would you stand and, and uh, just hold out your hands and just receive this blessing. May our God, our God of grace, and love, and truth, and mercy. May you welcome this God, this King, into your life this week. May you surrender your life to this God, this King, this week. And as you do that, would he empower you and give you courage this week to do and go where he is calling you to go? Would you make a difference for him wherever you may find yourself? Go in power this week as we celebrate Holy Week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.